This presentation is from Managing Design 2017, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. You ready to go? I'm all ready to go. All right, Glenn's all ready to go. So I'm going to tell a, a, a tiny story that I've told you part of, so I know that it's okay to tell. So my daughter's 19, and she works for us, and she puts content up on the website. Um, so, And she's come to a couple of conferences, um, but... She sent me this message one day. She's like, oh, my God, Mum, did you see that talk? And I said, which talk? And she said, the one where the guy's going to tell us how sucky he is. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe somebody's going to do that. So she thinks you're pretty amazing for telling us how much you suck. <laughs> well, going to use that quote. So Donna emailed oh, that quote okay. to me. And I was going to use it in the talk, but... When you're trying to cut a talk down to 20 minutes, you've got to cut some stuff yeah, out. Yeah, I'm so glad to tell the story. I left that one for you. Um, but yeah, this is about the year my team quit. And we hear many stories of success. This one isn't quite so glorious. Follow with me. Before I get into the story, I am going to explain a bit about me. It's really tempting to skip over that bit and get into the, all the details that you probably want to hear. But the thing is, this story actually is based on my motivations and what drives me. So what drives me? I studied fine arts at university. Um, honours in photography. I love reading. I love music. I love exploring new things. And for me, design is all about finding new ways of changing the world and seeing what happens. And I love exploring this. I love hiking, camping, cycling with my kids and wife. And most of all, I like talking to people. So here I am today. Um, the team that I work with, um, or worked with in this case, um, was at NIB Health Funds. Uh, we're an insurer based in Newcastle, up past Sydney. Uh, it's grown out of an industrial town, but these days acts globally. And this design team works in an agile environment. So we've spoken a bit about it today. And for the sake of this story, the situation is basically like this. Each designer works in a product development team on their own with that team. And that team is made up of developers, BAs, QAs, those kind of skills. That's the environment the team exists in. And this story is about quitting. And it starts with me almost quitting. About three years ago, um, when this story starts, um, I'd been at NIB for about 10 years. And I thought, oh, I'd had a good run. I enjoyed the job, but there's a few things that I wanted to change, and this new opportunity came up. But I didn't take it, and there were a few reasons I didn't, but one of those was the amazing team I got to work with. I loved turning up to work every day. These people were my friends. I drank with them, I ate with them, we had fun together. So I stayed. Exactly two weeks after deciding to stay, one of the designers I'd worked with the longest caught me in the corridor and said, Glyn, I need to chat. We know this, right? This is the I need to chat conversation. They don't want to chat. They're quitting. And I knew it. And the next 12 months was full of these conversations. Every single member of that design team that I decided to stay with because I enjoyed their company so much had conversations like, hey, Glenn, I just want to oh, let you know something. Or that magic little Outlook appointment that just says catch up that appears in your calendar. And it's like, Wow. And this is really, really hard because deep down, I thought I was a good manager. I took pride in the amount of time these people had spent at this business. And in 12 months, they all left. And this thing's true, that people leave managers, not companies. Now, I don't know who said it originally, but there's a little devil on my shoulder whispering it in my ear. And I had to rebuild this team. And I knew that if I didn't step back and look at what was happening in the environment, which they quit out of, I would just be making the same mistakes again. Because none of their comments, when they all exited, none of them said, hey, Glenn's to blame. Blame him. They actually appreciated my management. But there was something I wasn't doing, which they probably weren't even aware of, which I needed to fix. So the rest of this talk 
we'll cover these three key areas. Um, one, do my job. Two, what's my team's job? And three, the stories we tell. So each of these are going to be based on some observations that I'd seen in that world around me over this time and the actions and results that occurred when I started thinking about this situation. So let's step back three years. What was my job? Well, what did I see in the world around me? I saw lots of reactive decision-making. And this wasn't just from the business. Business are very good at reactive decision-making. But in our UX team, I started all these things. And one of those things, was, I, I'd go to UX Australia, right? One of the most inspiring conferences I've ever been to. And I'd come back and be building mental models and journey maps and we'd be building personas, starting up pattern libraries or style libraries or language, design language systems. But all these things would kind of peter out after a while. We kind of had no clear purpose. We didn't really know why we existed as a UX team. We just kind of designed. And that was a whole lot of fun, but was it really a purpose? We had no roadmaps. We had no plans. We had no ability to push back on the business. So when the business said, hey, let's stop working on this thing and go and work on that thing, we had no ability to say, oh, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. This is actually important what we're working on, or that thing doesn't align with our strategy. We had no say in where our team was going. And where did this come from? Well, it came from me. I'd started out as a solo designer at NIB, and over the years, this team had been built around me as I grew in my skills and the requirements for design grew. And I loved exploring new ground. I loved seeing what's over that mountain and down that valley. I loved trying new things out. And the team really benefited from this. We went into new areas we'd never been before. We'd gone from looking at just visual design into deep user research and exploring user testing and thinking about um, human factors. We'd come a long way. But there was something missing. What I wasn't giving my team, which was so crucial to that team's existence, was certainty. They didn't know where I was going next because I didn't know where I was going next. They didn't know how we were going to get there. They didn't know what was in store for them. And somewhere along the line, I didn't actually know what my job was. All I was doing was exploring. And in this, I'd created uncertainty. Now, one thing we know about uncertainty is the impact it has on us as humans. And what that does is drives fear. So there's the amygdala, which is that little bit of the brain, right, almost smack bang in the middle. And when the amygdala fires off, it's our caveman part of the brain. It's the fight, flight, or freeze response. And what that does is about protecting self. So when uncertainty comes, fear follows, and self-preservation comes next. And if you want a team to function, the last thing you want is every individual thinking about themselves. You want them thinking about the team. So I had to learn how to bring certainty to my team. And well, how do we learn? We've all done it before, right? We all build our discipline. We all learn, whether it's design or analysis or development, we learn these things through many different ways. And so I went back, back to the drawing board. I had to find some training. I had to learn. I had to go back to the basics of what leadership and management was. I had to find the gaps in my skills. And this took a great deal of self-awareness because it's very easy to see your strengths play and you build your careers on your strengths. You can see once you know something works, you will keep repeating that. And somewhere my strengths had built the team to where it was, but these strengths had been overplayed and they were missing the certainty. So my creativity was what was actually undoing the other part of the team. I read a lot. Now, I've been reading a lot for years and a lot of books about leadership and motivation, but I never thought about them from a leadership perspective. I only thought about them from a design perspective, what it means to be a designer. So I reread some books like Dan Pink's Drive and The Element, books like this that really helped me think about leadership, but with a new perspective. And then I had to go and borrow some really boring books that I never would have read before and learn on skills about resourcing and planning and budgets and things like that. You will need to learn things that you didn't know before. And then I'll put these together here, but I don't know if they're quite the same thing. 
I had a great mentor that was also a great manager. I think that probably doesn't work in that combination very well. Because what happened for me here was that I had someone that critiqued my practice. Someone that would see me trying to achieve something and not achieving it and call that out. They didn't let me get off with it. And this feedback was critical. And it leads to the next point, um, but I'll come back to it, which is peer support. You need people around you to teach the skills that you don't know. And for me, these were developers, they were analysts, all managers. And man, I didn't know spreadsheets. And these people helped me know spreadsheets. These people knew about budgets. These new people, people knew about business cases. And I leveraged these people around me, my peers, to learn about certainty. But what it all came down to, what I had to learn was this, safe hands. And this comment came from my manager. There was a situation once where I wasn't given the opportunity to take direct delegation from him. And I was really keen to do that. And I asked him, I said, ah, why did you give it to this other person? And he gave a, a really kind answer. You know, it was all very gentle. I didn't, you know, uh, didn't think about it too much. And, and then he said, well, look, probably what it comes down to is this. When I'm away for the next six weeks, I wanted to know that the work I needed done was in safe hands. And I went, ah. And you know when the little light bulbs click in your head? What I realised was that the people in my trust, the people in my team, had actually put their careers in my hands. And somewhere along the line, without that certainty, they left because they didn't know their careers were in safe hands. They didn't know why they were working on what they were working on. They didn't know what was coming up next. And they didn't know that I was looking out for their interests as well as my interests. I was missing safe hands. So how did it get to at the end of this? Well, I've got a spreadsheet. Now, this kind of sounds simple, right? But it was amazing for me. There's this program called Excel. I don't know if you've seen it. (laughs) Go dig into it. Um, But basically what I did, across the top of the columns, I put weeks. Down the left-hand side, I put names. And then in all the little gaps, all these little boxes they've got in this Excel thing, I put what they would be working on. Now, this kind of sounds so basic. But I'd never had one of these before. Every UX designer in my team were just working on a project in a team somewhere that someone else threw them around. And it was like, wow. And so suddenly what my team had, those that were coming in, had this certainty of, okay, in three months, I'm probably going to be working on this. Now, things do change, right? Projects change and things like that. But they could see that I was thinking about their roadmap. I was thinking about what was important. And if something wasn't on there that needed doing, the stakeholders around us knew that I wasn't thinking about it so they could come and talk to me about it. Safe hands. Um, And around this, the things we used to start and finish and not finish, like pattern libraries, like UX principles, like UX strategies, were started up again, but they keep going. And why is that? Because they're based on a purpose. The team knows why they're working on the pattern library, not just to have this really cool pattern library, but to actually start creating opportunities to reuse elements. The last thing, oh, so the last few things here about taking the ground. By having the opportunity to define why we exist as a team, what we're working on, we could push back against the rest of the business when they tried to push us into certain directions. Or even if we didn't agree with it, we would have something to say. In the past, we just kind of went with the wind that way. Now we could put our perspective into it. And this was based on planning and resourcing. That if someone didn't see their project on my spreadsheet, they knew that it wasn't resourced. So they would then need to have the conversation with me. So I've defined my job, and that was about creating safe hands and certainty for the team. And often we know what a designer's job is, right? Like, you know, there's university degrees in this kind of stuff. But sometimes we don't often talk about what the team's job is. And this comes directly out of what my job was. And this was the second set of observations that I saw. So when people were quitting, often they were highly functioning designers, but the team itself wasn't functioning. Let me go through some of the observations. So lack of resilience. 
um, we know that high-performing teams can take a, a side swipe, whether it's a product team or a design team, that if something goes against what they're trying to achieve, that they'll pick themselves up and keep on going. But they, these designers who were leaving had lost that ability to be resilient, that if something didn't go their way, they just became frustrated and moved on to something else. Each designer was isolated. So when we think about the Agile model, and I can say for sure what I've seen from NIB, where we've gone from a waterfall system into Agile, the output of those teams has never been so great. And the improvement we've had in the lives of our customers has never been so great. But with that great progress has come this cost. And these are the designers who work day in, day out. And we've seen this in some of the agency talks today too, where they're so isolated from other designers that no longer do they kind of know what it means to be a designer. They become very productive team members and they become very busy helping out that team get across. And that's a really amazing sight. When you see a designer stop working on design and help that developer test something out or get some feedback, that's incredible to see. But sometimes those activities they do aren't designing anymore. And sometimes those activities go on for week after week after week. <clears throat> and I know when I've hired these people that they're highly motivated, creative people. And somewhere what they're doing is business analysis. And they love learning the new skills and they say that back. But after a few weeks, a few months, they're not designing anymore. They're not designers. <clears throat> and then I think this is really critical. We had a mix of junior to senior, senior designers and never did they have the opportunity to learn from each other. And I don't just mean seniors sharing expertise and skills with juniors. I mean juniors sharing expertise and skills with seniors. That beautiful thing you see when two designers learn from each other as they're working. We never had the opportunity to do that. And the problem was this. For me to lead a design team, I actually needed a design team. And I didn't have a design team. I had five, five to ten different designers over time, all working in isolation. So what did I have? What did I really have? What was it that I had to change from an existing state into a future state? I had lone wolves. This was a word that came up today over conversation in lunch and one that I heard a developer use. So one of the weird things in Agile is often we see UX designers in an Agile product team on their own. But we never, and so rarely so, rarely see developers on their own. And they call it out. If there's a developer on their own, I heard someone say, there's a lone wolf. And it's kind of a warning sign. And why is it a warning sign, right? Like a lone wolf sounds powerful, but lone wolves get tired. They don't learn how to hunt. They don't see the danger coming from behind them. And when we think about a design team, it's more like the pack. The pack where they can teach the habits of other, desi other designers to each other, where they can look after themselves if they're hurt where they can feed off someone else's kill. I mean, this is all sounding very violent, right? <laughs> but, you know, you kind of get the point. And there was a great quote by Rudyard Kipling about this. And when I heard this, you know, this is another, it's a safe hands moment when these bells started ringing in my head. For the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. So I had these amazing designers who were isolated from their pack, and they didn't have the strength of the pack supporting them, and they left. And vice versa, the design pack wasn't strong because the wolves in that pack weren't strong. So my challenge was to build the pack out again. And this is quite simple. We had to design together. We had to think about the rules of the pack. We had to codify our practices and our processes and our principles and our values. I had to do my job, which is explain the vision for the team and make sure the team understood this and acted it in the way we worked. And then we started seeing the designers pitching in. You want one designer to help another. When one wolf is struggling to hunt, another wolf helps it hunt. When one designer is struggling in the research phases because they've come from a visual design background, we want them to help each other out. And this had never really happened before in these environments. And so we had to start taking action to bring that about. And then again, this would enable us to take the ground. 
There was space for the team to grow, for the team to be the team. So what's it like now? Well, there's designer pairing. Now, this was a big change for NIB. We had single designers in teams, and we had enough product teams and enough designers. For me to say, we're going to send designers out in pairs, meant one of two things. One is double the budget for designers, and, or the other is fewer teams at a time with designers. We didn't double the budget. So it created a whole lot of discomfort back for myself. My job was to create clarity around resourcing and planning after all, so I had to do this. But what I enabled was designers to solve problems in pairs. And this was a significant change because things became visual. So you think about it. You're a solo designer working on your own. You've got your laptop, you've got your head. Everything you need to know about your work exists in that space. As soon as you get two designers working on the same problem, that won't work anymore. And so things go up on the wall. Things go up on brown paper. And as soon as things are up on the wall and as soon as things are visual, others start commenting. They start getting feedback sooner. So we see this momentum gain because things are out there much, much sooner, no longer isolated in the designer's head. And work flows around the team so much better because each of the design pairs can then work with other design pairs. And this brings accountability. Accountability because when one designer sees another designer moving away from the pack, they can reel them back in. They can say, hang on a minute, we were talking about this the other day. That's not one of our standards. Or why don't you reuse this why don't you reuse this pattern? So the, suddenly, by making sure we work together and spend time together, that we started to see that visual, visualization and accountability. Another example, um, we don't always get to go out in pairs. Um, that is ideal. Um, we use design hubs where we just design together. We sit around the kitchen table for a morning. We did try sitting around the kitchen table for a month once. That caused a whole lot of complaints. Um, one of those was, we want our kitchen table back for lunch. <laughs> Um, the other was the development teams who wanted their designers back. So it actually created a want for design too, which was quite nice. And that was some great feedback. So we've got a great... Okay, if I know my job, I can do my job, which is to build a design team. And if the team has their job clear, that should just work. But when I think about some of the reasons the people left, I realised there was something else going on that I could actually work on personally. And this is about the stories we tell. I loved my team. And I would, <clears throat> I would try to set them up for success at every possible moment. And part of that, what I would do, is explain to them the situation they were going into. And I don't know how many of you worked in companies like health insurers, but there's a lot of dark water in a health insurer. There's old systems that can't be changed. There's stakeholders who don't think about the customer. There's projects which have been going on for years and it's really hard to achieve great customer value. And so what I would do to every designer going into those that areas of work I'd explain to them the situation they're going into. Ooh, you're working on that system. Don't even bother trying to change that system because you can't change it. That project manager, careful of them. They're going to hate your guts, but you'll be fine. You'll get through it. <laughs> kind of sounds like I'm trying to protect them. But there was a problem with this. The problems remained. Me trying to kind of set themselves up to get them through that, they actually became more and more frustrated. After every catch-up, it would kind of get worse. I was frustrated still because the problems weren't getting solved. And there was a whole lot of finger-pointing going on. So rather than setting themselves up for success, I'd set them up to fail. And in the end, people left because of these frustrations that I was trying to fix. And what I was simply doing was passing my bias onto them. That system wasn't unchangeable. It was just simply I couldn't change it. That stakeholder wasn't hard to deal with. It was just that I had kind of a personality conflict with them. And the stories I were telling were just sharing my frustrations and my biases rather than the truth and rather than helping them out. So what action do we take? We just stop telling these stories. I had to step back and listen to them, listen to the stories they told me 
and then came back with stories that helped them through that, stories of resilience and stories of grit, stories that would help them get through that rough patch so that then they could be a more productive, happy and skillful designer because the rough patches hang around. Um, I'm getting close to 20 minutes. I didn't want to have to do this. But the result, bridges were built. Bridges that I had been trying to build for years with other parts of the business, which we weren't making any ground on, I'd step away, a new designer would go in, and within weeks they're working better with that area. It was amazing to see. Because these individuals were able to find their own way through. I, rather than leading them into failure, they'd set themselves up for success. The rough patches are still there, and I think that's a really important part of the way we work. If I removed all the rough patches, how would they find their own resilience? But what I'm there to do is to help them and tell stories to help them through those rough patches. So, to finish up, there were three things I had to do to remedy this situation. The first was to find out what my job was and do it. I was no longer a designer. I was a design manager. I had to identify what the team's job was. No longer were they just designers. They were part of a team. I had to define that team's job to get them to do it. And then I had to think about the stories I told them and at what point was I leading them down a blind alley. So these are the questions I still say to myself um, because no matter what job I'm doing, I need to think about these things. So do I have safe hands? Is the project in safe hands? Is someone's career in safe hands? Is my pack strong? Am I actually building a stronger team? Do they feel like a team? Do we act like a team? And then what stories do I tell? What am I telling the people around me? And are they setting them up for success or failure? That's it. That's my year. Thank you. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Managing Design 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.